Hello and welcome to Phenomenal. I'm Trisna, a psychologist with an interest in the well-being and fulfilment of artists, performers, creatives, and all those who follow their passion. Phenomenal is a podcast about walking in the shoes of some exceptional people who have paved their own way in life. In this podcast, I hope to not only introduce these phenomenal people, but also give an opportunity to understand them phenomenologically by hearing their lived experience. In this episode of Phenomenal, I speak to Claudia San Giorgi Delamore, film director, dancer, and artist. We speak about creative endeavors as rites of passage, creation and beauty emerging from pain and angst, and formal training versus learning from being immersed in creative life. Hi, Claudia. Hello. Are you ready? (laughs) Nobody knows. (laughs) So you've been super busy, so I haven't actually had a chance to talk to you about this podcast. But um, first of all, tell me what you've been up to. You've just finished a television commercial, is that right? Yes, I just finished directing my first TVC, Uh which was wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I've been making a bunch of music video clips Uh as per usual. Yeah, I don't know my head from my ass at the moment. It's all <laughs> still rolling. So, um, so basically, this podcast, I'm wanting people to get a sense of your lived experience, basically, like what it's like to be Claudia. <laughs> giggle, giggle. Um, but first, I thought I wanted to ask you when people ask you what you do. What do you say? Mm, I I used to explain all of the different activities I would do, mm. um, which was like I take photos, I teach dancing, I make films, I'm a kids entertainer, you know, and the list would go on. And I think in the last year I've had so many media pieces written that have named me as a film director mm. that now when I fill out forms and they ask me what my mm. occupation is, that's what I write. Mm. Even though everything else that I do uh, goes into all of that. Mm. And and luckily, I think most people that I'm meeting now, it's actually through them already knowing who I am mm. for having seen something. So there's already always a point of reference for someone. Mm-hmm. It's rare that someone will ask me without, you know, what do I do or who am I without mm. already knowing something about me, which yeah, I yeah, find yeah. kind of interesting too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, f- do you feel like you've lost something in in that people are sort of – defining you as something in particular? Uh, Not through the definition, I just think through all the work, Mm. you know. I mean, I keep bringing myself back to being an artist first Mm -hmm. and foremost because Mm -hmm. that's what feels relevant from Mm -hmm. how I was raised Uh, and that's really what everyone's actually watching, like lots of artistry rather than whatever name they want to give it. Yeah. Um, And I think, yeah, I don't feel the loss in what I've been branded as, it's more just having worked so much in the last couple of years, probably part of my own artistry, even though it's it's all I do, mm. part of it does get lost in everything because I'm also constantly collaborating with people, which means sort of constantly compromising or negotiating. Mm. Mm. 
like lots and lots of negotiation day yeah, in yeah, and day yeah. out and communication. Yeah. And is, so that's something kind of new for you? It's not new. It's just that I think within it you can um, – it's really different from, you know, self-expression. Yeah. You have – I everything starts with an idea and, um, and it's often mine and mm. then the amount of push and pull that – that we go through yeah. before anybody else sees something, which still in the end is branded as something that I created. Yeah. There's just so many other factors that happen before yeah. from the time I have an idea to actually what the world sees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really that's an interesting process. I don't think it's new, it's just because it's probably been more in the public eye in the last couple of years. So mm. I can feel it more. Mm. Yeah. And how do you manage it? Oh, uh, most of the time I feel grateful that I even am able to do the jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think a lot of other people bring me back to that. Just the fortune of being able to constantly create and that being the source of income and that being all I ever think about. Mm. Um, and when it's all too hard, I just dream about retiring, becoming a florist <laughs> and doing flamenco dancing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said earlier something about identifying as an artist so so when did you start identifying as an artist <laughs> oh there's great stories of me that are retold by my mom back to me from when I was a kid she was a life model and I would be taking along to all of the sessions and sat down with my little drawing station and um she always I think I would have been five or something yeah. and a woman came up to me and you know to my drawing and said oh isn't that lovely, dear? You know, when you grow up, do you want to be an artist too? And I apparently just grouched up at her and went, I already am one, you know, and I, I think I've probably been identifying even subconsciously, you know, right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah, but never feeling that I need to classify too much, you yeah. know. It's all – I was just lucky to be born into full creativity constantly mm. every day all the time through everything that was happening yeah being how you made your bed what food we were making or where we yeah. were going or what you were going to dress not even things that people kind of consider art or making mm. art mm. yeah just a creative environment yeah yeah and what does your dad do my father is i call him an, an inventor at the moment because that's really what i feel he is he's an artist he's a incredible um painter and sculptor mm. but you know, he's also one of those people that could, you know, turn mud to gold. You you give him a challenge and he'll go and create it mm. um, or build it or, you know, problem solve it. And it always in some ways to me looks like art, even though I don't know, it was him fixing a chair, mm. you know, just the way he approaches life. Mm. Yeah. And do you feel like you've you've inherited any of that sort of approach? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. I think that's part of the reason why I've been able to do all the work I've done. Yeah. Through dad's sort of ability to just take on anything and not just know that he'll work, work out a way, mm. you know, and inheriting that endless possibility to find solution mm. and not be worried about, you know, how, mm. but just kind of go and do it. And then... I've got my mum who's just like the number one fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who was just like go girl, you know, the whole time in the background. Yeah. Uh, great combination of of parenting in, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And what what is your sort of perspective on um, 
like, are you formally trained in any of the things that you do? I don't know. What's formal training? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you look at how I was raised, mm. I think that's probably better education mm. than you'll ever get out of any institution. Mm. So, yeah, I was formally trained in life Yeah, uh, from being taken to everything as a child yeah. and mostly treated like probably an adult or speaking to adults as mm. though I was one. Mm. Um, but, you know, in terms of do I have, did I ever study film? No. Mm. Did I ever like, you know, classically study dance? No, mm. not at all. Mm. Yeah. And in your various collaborations, do you come across people that have been formally trained? And what's your experience of that? Yes, all the time. My wonderful crews that I always pull together, I think uh, half the time want to pull their hair out because everything we do ends up a little bit backwards and not the way they've been taught. Yeah. Um, but that's a nice push and pull too because yeah. they sort of enjoy the madness or maybe it's the ambition of what I'm always trying to do, mm. you know, in, in that, in creating film. Yeah. Um, and they're always offering gentle, gentle suggestions about, you know, if you, if you just had this extra person, this is how it would be, you know, mm. this is what it would add for all of us in a working mm. day. Mm. And I think aside from film, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's such a big difference. I think if you go and study creative things mm. as to oppose, leave them out and mm. with, with any, any form of art or creativity. And I, it definitely informs how far I can go with somebody in a conversation. Mm. Mm. Or a collaboration. Right. As in you don't want to be... Mm, it's just I think uh, having not studied, you maybe don't have as many boundaries. Mm. You know, maybe don't have any preconceived ideas of rules. Mm -hmm. So they're just, they don't form part of my conversation from the beginning. Mm. Whereas just if you have had, if you've learnt something, you, that's sort of, that's what you know. Mm. So it's it's always interesting blending those worlds but that's a constant yeah know? yeah 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 I read somewhere um about her sound her story that it developed pretty organically <laughs> which I I love to read because I feel like that's this podcast <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no plan um can you tell me more about that how that came about yeah totally um and just on that, I'm, when we screened at Nova Cinema, Jen Clover was like, I'm so glad you never received, even though you always wanted it, you know, funding support or, mm. or a producer or a network behind this because they wouldn't have let you do it <laughs> the way you, you made it so organically. Mm. And in turn, that's the actual reason that it's come out as it has. Mm. So uh, Michelle Grace Hyundai who's one of my friends, is a music photographer. Mm. And she decided after doing a portrait series that was about, I think, highlighting the history of hip-hop in Australia um, through photography. And mm. she'd only photographed 10 women out of, I think, about 180 portraits. So mm. she kind of went, what's going on? Where where are they? Started to investigate that, decided that whatever she did next was going to celebrate women. Mm. Uh, through all genres, I think decided on 10 artists, started taking portraits, started with Thelma Plum, 
did that and really soon realised that she, it wasn't going to be enough. There was mm. so many media pieces coming out. So she called me up very casually one day and just said, this is what I'm doing. Why don't you come along every mm. time I photograph a woman or an artist and interview them, mm. sit down and talk about their experience. And from that we, we had, I think, about 10 questions. Mm. Uh, we started and the first interview was 15 minutes and I think the last one was like an hour and 10. Oh, wow. So... And at that point when she first asked me, I said, oh, well, you know, we, we should get some of the pioneers because you can't really address this conversation without going back into history. And so maybe we pulled together a list of 30. Mm. Uh, but in the end, there's 80 por portrait photographs and there's mm. 55 interviews. Mm. Um, and it, it happened organically because, you know, we'd been doing the project for two years and we'd always talked vaguely about doing a documentary, but... We hadn't really understood or I didn't really understand what that actually meant. Mm. And so I'd just gone collecting interviews, mm. asking questions that I wanted to know answers to and uh, with no narrative in mind, with no linear link. Mm. Um, so we were two years in and Michelle said, well, I sort of want to launch and tell everyone what we're doing. Mm. So we did a big photographic installation and I was like, crap, I don't have a documentary. Mm. But we did all this media uh, and I went out as the filmmaker mm. and at that point we promised everybody a documentary. Mm. So uh, I had to go backwards and yeah. find out what what we had done, why we had done it, how it would make sense to anybody else yeah. and then spent the next, I think, year and a half smashing my head against a yeah. wall wishing that we'd never begun yeah. until finally I popped out, you know, an hour-long film out of 48 hours of rushes. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think um, as you were exploring these questions that you wanted to know the answers to, was there any sort of narrative that was kind of emerging out of your direction of questioning or, mm. or, or did you really go back and look at those 48 hours and go, what the hell? <laughs> uh, I, I think it was that I could pinpoint um, – that these women were all talking about similar experiences mm. and that's what got me even personally mm. I think it started to unveil my own experiences and mm. that's that's the moment I sort of started to realize how important the work was that we were doing because mm. I I just thought wow we've spoken to so many different people from diverse backgrounds and ages and the fact that the answers for most of them are, are nearly the same mm. it's quite frightening so mm. there's something in all of this uh, but still it was like how do I how do I thread all that information together mm. so that as a audience member you can actually ingest it all mm. and not just feel like you're sitting in one long hour long <laughs> interview with 50 heads popping you know it was yeah, it was yeah. it was that it was sort of finding the film and the beautiful way to tell it yeah um to tell the narrative which was a shared narrative mm for all of them and which was my own which was my mum's which was everyone's you know mm. yeah I forgot the first part to your question <laughs> um yeah I can't remember it either I think I was <laughs> I think I was asking if if um if maybe subconsciously you'd, you'd sort of your questions had taken a certain direction I suppose yeah yeah if we're talking about subconscious yeah I look at what we've created with her sound, her story and yeah. just go, there was my own rite of passage. 
that I created mm. for myself, mm. which was, a, that was, that's been one of the most wonderful things of it. I just went, oh, okay. Mm. That's why you dedicated the last four years of your life to this because I had all the grief that came up around all of the conversations. There was so much for me to unpack, to mm. be able to even edit a film like that mm. with the amount of honesty and integrity and empathy that it needed that mm. I had to then deal with all my own shit mm. around being a woman or mm. projection onto other women. So that's been, that that's really interesting. So probably on, that was all probably working in the background mm. from the very beginning that I wasn't even aware of. Mm. Yeah. Mm, that's really interesting. What do you think about um, sort of creative expression as therapy? Uh, I'm sure I'm sure that's what it is. Uh, I'm sure that's what it is. I've I don't know how to comment on that. I most great artists that I know live in angst. Mm. It's part of the you know cycle of creation. Mm. That mm. that's and sort of most great songs are written about when someone breaks up with somebody. Mm. You know, it's a really yeah, yeah. interesting yeah uh, metaphor that from mm. pain so much mm. beauty's made. Mm. Yeah, I didn't really think about it. I mean, I'm just thinking of your reference to her sound, her stories being like a rite of passage and mm. I suppose um, an opportunity for you to work through certain things yourself. Um, I might change tack though because I'm, I'm curious too about um, dancing because it's quite, um, you know, I sort of think of your film work as being more not intellectual but cerebral or something you know and compared to the dancing which is just physical so um what's your approach to your dancing as far as like what what motivates you to do it mm. I think that answers more to your question of creative creative healing yeah yeah because I always I think dancing saves me yeah. you know and I I it's like that's the in that space I'm like yeah. it's everything's untouchable you know what I mean yeah right like I I through editing the film tore my ACL yeah still torn um yet asked me to dance and my body just does it yeah. you know it was it's one of those really incredible uh, things that I, I feel I'm really gifted with because mm. it's such a it's such an outlet mm. yeah, and real saving grace. Mm. And as as my mum says, I think physically even um, it always like I realign my anatomy mm. back to balance through dancing because mm. all the other work I do, uh, you know, it's so much sitting in compression, yeah. mainly into the spine. Where and then dancing, she just says she's watched me and she's like, you just put all your bones back together where they should be. Mm. And so there's that's kind of the beautiful balance between mm. the two different workflows. Or not even I never see dance as work. Actually, no. I feel like film is work. Yeah, and dance is what I love. Yeah, is it challenging to keep that balance at the moment? Yeah, it's always challenging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, and often I'm I teach dance now, and I'm like, what am I even doing? You should just be lying down. Mm. Uh, but I think. It's always one of those things that afterwards I'm pretty glad that I did it because it's it really does. There's not a lot that can enter the mind, mm. you know, mm. in 
between those moments of mm. hearing sound and moving to it. Mm-hmm. And I have great, great students yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who I always joke to them and say, I just think it's ludicrous. You come to a studio for two hours every week <laughs> and all you're doing is learning how to dance like me. Not like a discipline, yeah, yeah, literally yeah. just like me. Yeah, and yeah. so thank you for showing up. Yeah, and yeah. and it's, that's fun. Yeah. It's fun because it, you just get to kind of experiment with other people's bodies and yeah. ideas of movement. And yeah, I enjoy that more than I think if I was, I don't know, a jazz dance or anything that mm. was more of a discipline that had mm. a lot of structure and rules to it. Mm. Mm. Do you reckon there's... Um, do you think there's sort of strengths and weaknesses to the way that you approach your work? So because the the theme sort of seems to be um, that you're not restrained by formal learning and discipline. So what do you see as sort of being the strengths and weaknesses of that? Mm, the great thing is I think the ideas are always just huge. Mm you know, there's no boundary on that and then I often have to get pulled in by everybody else around me <laughs> yeah, yeah, or yeah. just the general logistics <laughs> of being alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I find a really great place to create from. Yeah. And I actually think if people were to look at my body of work or whatever it is that I ever create, that's actually what they're looking at. They're looking mm. at someone who's just got big ideas and keeps trying to make them. Mm. Um, but I'm a... The negative of that is I'm so ambitious mm. that, of course, nothing is realistic mm. um, and often it uh, it's not realistic to other people because I have to, along the way, always bring other people on board mm. to trust in what we're even doing. I mean, I just mm. did my last shoot uh, where I wanted to stack 20 couches on top of each other <laughs> and build a, a couch sculpture in the middle of the street. <laughs> And that was a really great, that was a great process mainly because I realised everyone around me has been working with me so long that nobody batted an eyelid mm. and they just went and found me 20 couches and I brought my dad along and he drilled it all together. Yeah. Um, but there's moments where it's not, it's not like that mm. and I have, have to really feel like I've got to force my way through. I think the ambition also just means I'm a workaholic mm. because my satis- to get satisfaction mm. from something I've created mm. or something that I do, um, it takes lots and lots and lots of work, whereas mm. maybe a lot of other people would settle for something a little less mm. and therefore you can end a day, mm. you know, at five or six yeah. comparatively to working, you know, 18-hour days for months on end. Mm. What's the fallout from that? <laughs> Well, torn ligaments and, um, yeah, I don't know because you look, it's, I've never given birth but I always <laughs> see it in that way when everyone, you know, discusses birth or mm. pregnancy of something that you do and you go through and then the moment a baby's born you mm. sort of forget everything anyway. Mm. Mm. And I watch that happen over and over again. I even mm. watch that happen with people that maybe argue with me along the way, mm. um, which I've, I just try and tune into that more than anything, that in the end it mm. is all worth it because yeah. you, it comes out, you get the birth yeah, and yeah. then everything, no one remembers anybody, no. everything else. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, this is like coming to like a pretty big general question but what, what's, what do you value in life? Maybe it's all, uh, I don't know if this is a value but again, 
And it's mainly through observing what people resonate mm. with, mm. the way I operate mm. in the world. And I think that's um, just like a pressing urgency for uh, something that's real mm. and honest. Mm. So, and that's that happens mainly in my film work you know you can it's very obvious to see like that's an un me constantly trying to uncover some sort of honesty mm. in the person that i'm working with or mm. trying to translate you know for other people to bear witness to mm -hmm. that's like the delicacies that i probably do on more subconscious levels mm. uh, because i'm really interested in knowing who everyone is mm. Maybe on a deeper level. Mm. That's why often now I think I ninety eight percent of people I meet also tell me, "Oh, you look so familiar. <laughs> I think we've met before." And mm. I always go, "Maybe you've seen me riding around a bike on mm. Fitzroy since I was a kid, or mm. maybe you've seen me dancing, or maybe I'm just that person mm. for lots of people." This mm. kind of familiarity mm. and um, that's a fun role to play. Mm. It's, and I mean, yeah, it's, it's a bit more so. Uh, it's a bit more serving of others, which I think is, is probably the only. Um, spent lots of time, maybe in service of others more than of to myself, which mm. in turn probably has served myself. Yeah, because it's what I get fulfillment out of on a deeper level. Mm. And that's sort of that skill of disarming people. Is that just? What do you put that down to? I think it's the parents I was I chose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, having such highly creative human beings as your parents, mm. which then comes along with all of the traits, classic traits of mm. artists, uh, which are so ex extreme in their where they experience life. You know, it's so um, intense. Mm. from the good to the bad, mm. I think I would have had to learn to neutralise my experience of life through trying to communicate a lot mm. with them and then with everyone around me through having so many adults to converse with mm. that, you know, it's a, it's a classic story of probably having to grow up much faster mm. than the body I was in. Mm. So maybe the conversations I was having when I was seven, you wouldn't have until you were 40. Mm. So therefore, like it's um, as I'm the age I am now, it's, uh, it's just a repeated thing I've been doing since I was little, mm. you mm. know, mm. because of the environments I was always in. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. It's interesting. Mm. Do you think there's any cost? Totally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I'm probably at the moment in life uh, which everyone around me is really asking me to pull back in that in that vein of really simple, just going, how's about for a moment you really just think about you. Mm -hmm. And even creatively, I have a mm -hmm. lot of friends around me who are all really excited for the moment when I where I just make something that is solely for the purpose of making it for myself. Mm -hmm. Which is probably what I was talking about earlier that um, that's that's the loss that mm. you kind of become successful on this exterior level because you're collaborating with so many people and mm. producing work 
uh, whereas it's not it's not of my own all the time, even though everything has an essence of me in it. Mm. Yeah. And sleep and health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those classic things. Yeah, yeah. And relationship and yeah. everything that always um, kind of suffers. Yeah. Yeah. In the vein of trying to do so much. Mm. Probably a lot. I could do a lot less doing for a while. Mm. I'd have to learn how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe to finish, if you could imagine like, um, you can tell that I'm about to ask a big question again, <laughs> can tell. Which, which can't be answered in five or ten minutes. <laughs> but um, if you had that ideal creative project that was just for you, mm. that didn't have compromise mm. and so forth, mm. what, what, would, what would it be? Am I allowed to tell everyone this? Oh, yeah, maybe it's <laughs> classified. All right, what about this? Um, I, I have a thing that I'm interested in yeah. and I think it relates to my fascination with the human experience, mm. which all then relates to sort of how I gravitate to people and communicate with them and mm. want to disarm people and get to the core mm. pretty quickly. Um, so I think I think I'm really interested in live experience i'm interested in creating experience where it's um i mean i see film as something that is a little bit fleeting because maybe you you watch a film and then you don't go watch it again and so Mm. you do have the moment but i i kind of have a deep love maybe from all my early years of performing Mm. in something that's more based around a performance or sort of something in a theater world uh, whereby you get to experience it and only mm. for that moment and mm. and then that is it. Mm. Uh, that's kind of a bit impermanent mm. uh, and more experiential focus mm. than than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, Claudia. <laughs> Thank you. Was it all you expected? <laughs> all I expected and more, especially <laughs> in this studio. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. (laughs) I've been watching The Power of Myth, a set of interviews with Joseph Campbell. There's a part of me that regrets quoting an old white male who was an academic, not an artist, to conclude this podcast. And Claudia certainly does not need any old white male to legitimise her work. But the quote is so apt. He says... If you go to a master to study and learn the techniques, you diligently follow all the instructions the master puts upon you. But then comes the time for using the rules in your own way and not being bound by them. You can actually forget the rules because they have been assimilated. You are an artist. Your own innocence now is of one who has become an artist, who has been, as it were, transmuted. You can't have creativity unless you leave behind the bounded, the fixed, all the rules. Claudia seems to be someone who has observed the rules all her life. Not in the sense of following them, but in the sense of seeing them, and I'm guessing puzzling over them, possibly having a bit of a laugh, and then carrying on with whatever she is setting out to do. In the next episode of Phenomenal, I speak to sculptor James Parrott, Here's a preview of us discussing the privilege of being involved in people's lives as an artist. I, 
I mean, I don't know if I have time for a story, but yeah, yeah I made a sculpture for a woman. Um, her name is Leonie, and she was, she's was a quite a corporate lawyer, mm. and she commissioned me to do a sculpture over her pool. Mm. And they were amazing because they were just like, do whatever you want over this pool, and like make it go further over the pool. And it's an ama- it was one of my favourite pieces that I ever made. And we became friends along the process. And then mm. after that, we kept in contact. And I would always go and visit her. Probably every couple of months, we'd go and have a coffee together. Mm-hmm. Um, she had cancer the whole time. Mm. And she'd been battling it for a very long time. And then mm. it was her nephew's 21st coming up. And mm. she's like, I want to have buy one of your sculptures to um, for my nephew's 21st. And I knew the whole family because I'd met them along the way as well. And so I'm like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, let's do this properly, right? You're going to help me make it. So I just took some cardboard circles to her house and I said, there is no pressure here. This is meant to be fun. Mm. Just muck around. If you come up with a shape that you like, that's cool. If you Mm. don't, it doesn't matter. We'll come up with something. Mm. And she mucked around for a little while and she was really nervous about it. And then she came up with a shape that she liked. And I was like, cool, I can totally make that into a sculpture. And Mm. with my own style involved in that, like Mm. it's already got the shapes that I like in it. So that's cool. Mm. So I started making it and um, I finished the model. She saw a photo of it and died the next day. And um, so, yeah, that kind of whole process was pretty, like that's a relationship that's pretty amazing. Mm. And being able to then give that to her nephew for his 21st a couple of months later as a finished stainless version, Mm. that you know, that's a pretty amazing thing to be involved in, to mm. be able to be involved in. And the sculpture let me be involved in that. Yeah.